on March 14, 2014, National Polygamy Advocate Mark Henkel was on The Dr. Wendy James Show. DrWendyJames.com This is the Dr. Wendy James Show. Dr. Wendy James, a licensed psychologist, relationship expert, and author of The Princess Chronicles, A Bedside Companion, and The Gap. The Dr. Wendy Show concentrates on issues including guilt, depression, interpersonal relationships, grief counseling, anger management, fear, and more. Find her online at drwendyjames.com. Follow her on Twitter at Dr. Wendy James. Let minds be tranquil, let hearts be open, and let your mental health be optimized. This is the Dr. Wendy James Show. Here's your host, Dr. Wendy. Today, we have a special guest, a guest that I've read about him and listened to him, and his name is Mark Henkel, and his website is national, his website on this is nationalpolygamyadvocate.com, again, nationalpolygamyadvocate.com. All one word. Mark Henkel, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start. And and I know there's been a what you do and how you're doing it is you're a writer, you're a speaker, but it does cause a lot of controversy in the situation. So let's start right now. I want to clarify that you're not really a polygamous because you have only one wife that's legal, which you have indicated, and you have one wife, but four other women with whom you live with as a family unit, and they all have children with you. Is that a correct statement of your lifestyle? I would say that's probably not correct. I would not I would say I have one legally married wife but to say that I am not a polygamist would not necessarily be correct. But because of the law, I still have to be concerned with how I use certain words because, for example, in my own home state, the mere expression stated by a happily legally married man to any other woman that is not his legally married wife, to use the one free expression word, wife, to describe any other woman, that itself is a crime in my particular state. So I I am not able to identify it just by free speech. And I think that it's not legal in America, although um, I know that there's a lot of discussion. It it, it involves you, it sounds like you would like them to all be your wives, all five of them, I do believe all five. But the discussion is, right now managing extramarital relationships within the marriage. And how do you, I'm curious, as a woman and psychologist, as to your description, how do you manage, how do the dynamics of the five women for getting along, are they the same personality? What what happens there for you? Well, I want to first clarify that there is a new TV show called My Five Wives, but I am not here on your show saying that I have five wives for my own family. I, I just want to clarify that difference. Right. But I will say that the dynamics are 
that of really woman-centered growth as a man and husband, very often the stereotype that people default to is a foolish, salacious ridiculousness that polygamy is all about what the man wants and gets. But if you really put your brain to it, in a modern, educated, secular, Western society that we now are, the fact is women are not stupid. They're not weak. They're not feeble-minded. They're not incapable of asserting their equality in a relationship. And so in today's society, in a modern construct, it is a woman's choice perspective of consenting adult polygamy, as Dr. Joyce Brothers said back in two decades ago in 1994, she said, polygamy is not as bad as you think. She said she would rather be the third wife of a good man than the only wife of a jerk. And if we recognize that people have different skill levels, whether it's learning how to add, learning how to multiply, learning how to do the complex mathematics, learning how to do algebra, trigonometry, calculus, just because someone is capable of doing calculus doesn't mean that the person who only knows how to do addition can somehow say it's impossible to do calculus. They just haven't developed to that skill level. And, Mark, you're, you're um, living with six adults and 30 children, if I'm correct on that. How do your wife, are there stay-at-home moms? Are they career? Is it a combination of both? Are they A-type or B-type? Or... How do they integrate all this in one household? Well, again, I think you are confusing me with uh, one particular new show that has begun on TLC called My Five Wives, where they actually have 30 children. I do not have 30 children. <laughs> okay. How many children okay. do you have? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to go into the construct of my particular family as a matter of protection for my family. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Are your yeah. wives in different careers? Are they working? Are they, they homeschool the children? No, no, that's exactly correct. And so to help you understand that really this is a woman's choice issue, that different women have different personalities and different goals and different perspectives and different objectives of what they want in life. Let me give you a, a very common scenario that I have seen very often throughout the movement. And okay. The, and that is, think of it this way, a woman who wants a high career needs to commit to that career. And another woman wants the free choice to be a stay-at-home mom. The two of them can come together, both get their free choice and goals of what they want to do, and the woman that has the high career knows that her children are being loved and cared for by a woman who loves those children and is committed to those children, rather than, if you think about it, the silliness of shipping her kids off to some low-paid stranger at daycare who doesn't share her own values. It really, if you think about it, that is more immoral than the idea of consenting adults making a choice to form a family based on the dynamics of their individual goals. And, Mark, that's true. And as a psychologist, I work with a lot of women and and uh, situations on that, but I find that having, even if you, women have try to have multiple boyfriends, it, they have this idea that they want one, and it, it, they go through a lot of emotions. So uh, it sounds wonderful to have a career and have someone stay at home, take care of the kids, and there's different situations, but. I find that there's uh, extreme, with women, jealousy. 
And do you encounter that in the situation you're in? Well, first I would say that jealousy is a cultural, societal indoctrination right from the very beginning of youth. And when we, we're training girls to grow up a certain way and training boys to grow up a certain way, and we create this idea of a jealousy. But when women actually put their brains to it and recognize the opportunities available to them to have their choices, then the women that will make this choice, jealousy becomes less of an issue. Because this is not about what the guy is going out and just creating a harem. This is about a guy being so caring and nurturing to the individual dynamics of each relationship that he actually attracts women that would want to be in this kind of scenario. That and, Mark, I think it's difficult for you. How do you, uh, women, we, were, we like attention. You're able to give attention to all these women is, is difficult in itself, isn't it? It can be. But certainly... Back to the Dr. Joyce Lowe's quote that a man who has developed his skills to that capability as a husband, husband skills, the nurturing and the caring and that, that it still is something that a man who's more committed to doing that is more capable of multiple women than some guys aren't even capable of one woman. And, and Mark, many of our listeners uh, that are Christians may not understand your position on having what we're going to call extramarital relationships or more than one or and under the Christian framework. What are your thoughts about that? Because I noticed that you are a Christian and, and, and approaching it in that way. What are your thoughts yeah. about that? Well, that's actually what where it all began is that – as a as an evangelical Christian, my church taught me that you're supposed to believe doctrine based on what the Bible teaches and not what anyone else teaches you. And, well, that was their big mistake because uh, I'm the kind of a guy who studies things intensely. In college, I got two degrees in three years with a 4.0. I really know how to study intensely, and I did just that. I studied the Bible intensely. And as I did so, I discovered that there is zero, absolutely zero evidence of the invented man-made doctrine of one man, one woman. It simply isn't there. You First, you start seeing many different polygamists in the Bible. You then recognize that the very man himself who wrote the Adam and Eve story, who wrote the Genesis 2.24 verse that the two shall be one flesh. The very man himself who wrote those doctrines, the Bible shows Moses was a polygamist with two wives. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel with four wives, and David with eight no-named wives, and suddenly you have a massive contradiction, and so it became a part of continuing the Reformation to help other Christians who say they believe the Bible is doctrine to recognize that the Bible never, ever, 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 ever created and mandated the one man, one woman doctrine. And Mark, don't mean to interrupt, but in in my research, and correct me if I'm wrong, you cite Moses had two wives, Abraham had an extramarital relationship with his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, and the union produced offspring, but then when Sarah conceived, she was banished. So I guess I found biblically that you're referring more to the Old Testament, not the New Testament. If we follow follow the Old Testament, there is a lot of that that was happening, but not in the New Testament. And again, and Jews, a lot of Jews have are married with one person today, and Christians are. 
But the New Testament is doesn't say that. They say one per, one marriage together, don't they? No, it does not. Let, let's first understand the Christian evangelical understanding of how the Bible is. It is constructed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is the old covenant with God in which uh, God's people had to be under the legalism of the law. You had to, and the law defined everything of what is sin and what is not sin. And so, if you did a certain thing, you'd be stoned to death or whatever. It was a legalism under the old covenant. When you go into the new covenant, you are right. You the Jesus, new testament's different. Right. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you are no longer under the legalism of the law, but you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, nowhere, anywhere whatsoever did the New Testament abolish polygamy. More than importantly, let's look back for a minute. I don't know a situation in the New Testament, I'm a Christian, where they said you... It was right. It was good. In fact, if you look lustfully at somebody, it was supposed to be a sin. And God, and God, Jesus Christ forgives us. But I don't know an incident, and and I have read the Bible very much in the New Testament. It might have been going on, but it was not what the New Testament's about. The Old Testament. No, you're, you're you're imposing a supposition upon what you want the New Testament to say, but it actually never, ever, you will not see a single verse that says, thou shalt not marry more than one. And what you actually have, think about this for a minute. If one believes in the Lord Savior Jesus Christ as personal Savior and believes in the new covenant of the New Testament saved by Jesus Christ through faith in, in Jesus Christ, then that means that you are no longer under the legalism of the law and you are under, the grace, under grace by Christ. Well, first, Jesus Christ himself, in Matthew 25, 1-13, uses a parable in which he describes himself as a proverbial polygamist, not a literal, but a proverbial polygamist as the bridegroom of five wise virgins. And so Jesus Christ, the sinless Lord and Savior, would never describe himself in a sin if polygamy was a sin. And that therefore shows you it was not a sin. Now we also need to go to the fact of understanding the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Under the Old Testament, when we know what is sin, even Exodus 21.10 says that that if he take him another wife, her food, raiment, and duty of marriage shall not be diminished. Deuteronomy 21.15 says, if a man have two wives. So polygamy was regulated and allowed under the Old Testament of being under the legalism yeah. of the law. Old so Testament it was, but the New Testament, right, I disagree with you from what I know. I asked, I asked you to let me finish the thought. Okay. When you go to the New Testament, the New Testament, are you under grace or are you under the law? If you're under grace, you do not try to make a doctrine more legalistically restricted in the time of grace than the doctrine ever was under the law. So if polygamy was allowed under the difficult legalism of being under the law, you don't go into grace and make a doctrine even more legalistically restrictive to suggest that now suddenly polygamy is a sin. Nowhere do you see an absolute prohibition of marrying more than one woman. And so by being freed by the under grace in Jesus Christ, you don't have the legalism and the fact is because it was allowed under legalism, it's allowed under grace. Well, it was Romans that controlled in the New Testament, and they had a different view, but Jesus Christ always, he was here to make sure that uh, 
sinners. He forgave sinners. That's why he was on this earth with this situation. But there's many, many uh, passages where you are married to one person, and that's important in the family structure. And uh, let me... uh huh. You disagree, <laughs> but that's okay. Let me advise your listeners to go to www.biblicalpolygamy.com, and every argument ever tried to be raised to suggest that the Catholic convention of the one man, one woman doctrine that does not appear in the Bible, every argument is answered at biblicalpolygamy.com. That way, we can go forward in this conversation. Okay, in the New Testament, I don't see any of that. Old Testament, I agree with you. I have another question. Um, so if you can explain to me, and we touched on that, men, the women, uh, how, are they career, stay-at-home, or a combination that you've seen to, to, in your relationships? It's any combination. It is... Women who recognize that some men are better than other men, and they would rather have a good man than be stuck with the options. You could, we could laugh at this and say, all the good men are taken should no longer apply. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I hear that all the time because I work as a psychologist. A lot of my patients are women trying to meet somebody, and I find that women have troubles with uh, men, maybe more than men do, men uh, will have an extramarital affair or whatever, and women, and the trust, the jealousy that occurs, that I'm going to look through things and I want to know, none of that occurs with the women that you see in your relationships? I think that you're looking at this from the backwards perspective rather than understanding we're talking about women who are making choices for what they want and seeing a rare good man. What has happened is with it is effectively socialism of one man, one woman is enforced. And the result of socialism always leads to the creation of mediocrity. So what we are now experiencing is the marital socialism has given us the era of dumbed down males. So that we now see abandoned single moms and marriage phobic males. And so here we are talking about men who actually want marriage as opposed to the marriage phobic males who are committed to caring about women and attracting women. If you stop criminalizing this free choice for women, then what you will actually do is have a free marriage market that will incentivize men to start growing up instead of being jerks. Think of it this way. If you had ten men and ten women and nine of those men are jerks, you, one man, one woman is a marital socialism that has denied and oppressed and taken the choice away of those nine women. They either have to settle for the nine jerks or go without. But if you allow a free market, those nine men realize, oh, my gosh, I better hurry up or I'm going to go without. Well, they get and Mark, and yes. Men for the women. And Mark, but I see women wanting to be with one man, not a jerk, but find a good man and have children or have their career. So in some career women, actually, the study indicates, a recent study, women get married about 26, men about 28, which is later in life, to find somebody. And you brought up a good point of of single mothers and their struggles. And so 
in a household like this, is there benefits from the government is for the health care and the children, or are they working and providing? And then, of course, you don't have to worry about uh, who's going to stay home with the child if there's more than one woman. But um, government assistance, have you been seeking all of that to provide for this many women? I I find it anti-woman for people to think that women need this big sugar daddy. The reality is that women are smart and capable of supporting and having careers and having financial impact in the family, not needing one superman to be their sugar daddy and make sure he's paying for everything. The reality is women are smart. Women are yes. capable of having jobs. People are yes. capable, women are capable. So the idea that it's this guy trying to have women and they've got to be feeble and got to be on welfare and all that, that's anti-women to suggest that women are capable. The reality is women are capable of being awesome. Yes, absolutely. So I, I absolutely, Mark, but some women want to stay home and raise the children. So is that how it works? Some are stay-at-home moms, some are pursuing their career, and you're able to provide all of that? It becomes a family decision. The women in this situation love each other. You know, you, you first you've got the, uh, you know, people are going to yeah, Hello, oh, can you still hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, sure. The jealousy with women, uh, green, uh, we're often, uh, everyone I know, pretty jealous. Well, then anyone who's got an issue of jealousy, until they overcome that, this would not be for them. And we're not talking about trying to impose it upon those that have those issues. You know, I think that anyone that would have that kind of a situation, were they to be attracted to a man in a polygamous situation, what they would experience would be a man who has really got the, as Michael Jordan is to basketball, the kind of a man that would be to husband skills. And he would he would be so caring and so nurturing that she would have her bucket need of uh, bucket list of needs filled that she would realize that the issues of jealousy aren't something that really matters her after that. So it, it, there are issues, but there are dynamics that the adults work out together. That, well, and, that, and then, Mark, I work with uh, couples in marriages, and uh, I find there uh, there is so much, uh, there is such importance of being together, even with the guys. The guys, if the woman would be uh, out with another guy and have an affair, the guys are upset about it. So as a psychologist, I'm seeing a difference in that, that the ones I work with, and I'm just qualifying the ones I work with, want to have that relationship with one person, the trust and the caring. And and they object on that basis as well as a moral basis in same-sex marriages is a start to occur, but what point do we look at marriage again? I go back to Adam, maybe with you. Uh, Adam, from the Bible, Eve was made for Adam. They were together there as one, and Jesus forgave people that were straying in their relationships, but over and over said, a marriage is between a woman and a man. So as a, a psychologist, 
And, uh, oh, I know, I know we're going to run out of time. So, Mark, I'd love to have you back. You wrap up on that statement, and I'll plug your website after. Well, I think that to utilize who you have as clients as an example is really not a comparable example because obviously the most healthy relationships are not going to be seeking out the paid professional expertise of a psychologist. And so it's obviously you're going to be dealing with people. Mm, That's not true because I work with CEOs on balancing career, marriage, and children. Sorry, Mark. There are real successful women, CEOs, CFOs, and companies. Very good. Very good. That, that I, I will, to that end, I will retract. But ultimately, the reality is, is that you have not met the kinds of families I'm talking about, and so therefore to make a comparison from one, one study field group to another isn't a comparable, a comparable basis to make. I would also Absolutely. Add, Mark, Mark, I want to plug everything, and uh, I think this discussion could go on again. I'd love to have another discussion with you if, when you're available. So, Mark... Henko, his website, nationalpolygamyadvocate.com. And we're so thrilled to have you. I got that right. Anything else you want to, and you've been on radio and TV and and promoting this illegally as well as uh, speaking everywhere. Is that correct? Well, I don't know about speaking illegally, but <laughs> yeah. No, speaking illegal uh, uh, yeah, to yeah. push this through. <laughs> you need a good lobbying group, right, Mark? <laughs> we are working hard, yes. Uh, it sounds like it. And I would enjoy getting back on and talking in more depth on this subject because I think it's real important. And uh, I have to close the show. So thank you so much again, Mark. Henkel, NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com. Thank you. Thank you. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate, presenting polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com.